This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chetka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Headache disorders are extremely common, and patients commonly seek our help in the outpatient setting regarding management of their headaches, usually one form of migraine. On occasion, patients may seek help in the emergency department for a more severe headache. Today, we're going to continue our podcast series on headaches as we discuss intractable headaches, also known as status migranosis. We'll also discuss other headaches commonly seen in the emergency department. So how serious are intractable headaches? How should these patients be evaluated and what are the most effective management strategies? We'll discuss these questions with Dr. Mark Wheely, a neurologist and headache specialist at the Mayo Clinic. Mark, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Daryl. Well, let's start by asking you to define status migranosis. Okay. Well, in simple terms, it's a severe migraine that's gone on for at least 72 hours, but with specific diagnostic criteria from the International Classification of Headache Disorders, it's any headache fulfilling the criteria of occurring in a patient who's had migraine with or without aura. The headache meets criteria for either migraine with or without aura established by the ICHD3. In addition, it should be unremitting for at least 72 hours, and the symptoms or the pain should be disabling in nature. Most importantly, you should rule out any other secondary causes for headaches based on the presenting symptoms and evaluation that's done. So other than the duration of symptoms, is there anything else unusual about the headache? Would a patient know there's anything different going on other than the fact that this one's lasting longer than their other typical headaches? There may not be. It, it could simply be more severe and or more disabling and lasting longer. There's not really any specific characteristics other than that that are different than anyone's usual migraine. Okay. And what's what's the nature of these? Are these typically occurring in the same patient recurrently or might patient have just one of these in their lifetime? What's the story on these? We don't know a whole lot about that because there aren't a lot of great uh, studies of status migranosis epidemiologically. There is one study out of Europe of a, a special headache specialty center where status migranosis occurred in about two to three percent of their migraine population. And of those who had status migranosis, about a third had recurrent episodes, suggesting that if someone has status migranosis, they're at risk for repeat episodes in the future. But they typically occur in a patient with known migraine. Typically, but it doesn't have to. Okay. And can any migraine develop into this? Essentially, any migraine can develop into status migranosis. And unfortunately, there's not a real way to predict that. There's a very rare phenotype of migraine that has been described where people have exclusively episodes of status migranosis on a recurrent basis, but that is exceedingly rare. Okay. I was reading on these and I was surprised to see that they are labeled as potentially dangerous. Tell us, why are these so dangerous? Well, as you can imagine, if you're having a severe disabling migraine commonly associated with nausea, leading to poor oral intake that can lead to 
significant dehydration over three days or more, which eventually can be dangerous, lead to electrolyte abnormalities and, and so forth if they don't seek proper care. So it's primarily just lack of oral intake, dehydration, and so forth. Yeah. So it's nothing specific about the headache that it's causing yeah. neurologic damage. No, it's not the migraine itself that is causing neurologic damage. Okay. So how are these diagnosed? These often, I would imagine, present to the emergency department. Well, generally, we use the international classification of headache disorders. So you follow those criteria. First, you see if the headache meets criteria for migraine, and then if it meets those additional specific criteria of 72 hours or more, and the symptoms are disabling in nature. As I alluded to earlier, the most important thing in someone presenting with status migranosis, especially if they've never had a previous episode, and even more so in someone who hasn't previously experienced migraine headaches, is to make sure you're, you're not missing some alternative cause for the headaches. Do these patients generally get head imaging or does it depend on the history that you know about them? Well, it certainly depends on the prior history. Certainly if they have a prior history of migraines and even a prior history of status migranosis and the, the characteristics of the pain and the episode are not terribly different from prior episodes, probably don't need imaging. But if there's a significant difference in the characteristics of the pain or they've maybe never had an episode of status migranosis, they probably will get some sort of neuroimaging. Emergently, generally CT is preferred because it's available in every emergency department and available quickly. Ideally, MRI scan gives us the best sensitivity, but some of the things that present with severe intractable headaches, you can see on CT scan like intracranial hemorrhage, subarachnoid hemorrhage, tumors, and so forth. So. I imagine, as with most headaches, there's really nothing on physical exam. It's pretty much based on their medical history, right? Yeah. Well, certainly you do a physical exam to make sure that you don't have clues that something else like a structural lesion is going on. But yes, their neurologic and general physical exam generally is normal, which kind of leads to some of the stigma of migraine that you see not only from lay people, but from physicians themselves. So how are these patients treated? They present to the ER, uh, they're evaluated, diagnosed with status migranosis. How are they managed? First, you think about some of the general principles of treating a status migraine. So you want them to be in a low stimulation environment with sounds as low as they can be, the light as, as low as it can be, trying to not overstimulate their environment. Most of these patients are going to get some level of intravenous hydration, again, because if they've had a severe migraine going on for three days or more, they're likely to be dehydrated in some way. So that's kind of the background environment and treatment that is done. And then you employ parenteral treatments for management of migraine. What kind of pharmacologic therapy are these patients receiving? Well, it's variable place to place, but we do have a couple of guidelines to refer to when you're treating someone for status migraine. So the American Headache Society has a guideline for parenteral treatment of migraine in the emergency department, as does the Canadian Headache Society. I think the, the American Headache Society's guidelines are from 2015, while the Canadian ones, I think, are from 2016. Luckily, they mostly agree on first-line treatments for status migraine based on the evidence. And the, the top choices for parenteral treatment of 
status migraine include subcutaneous sumatriptan, six milligrams, intravenous prochlorperazine, 10 milligrams, and intravenous methoclopramide, 10 milligrams. Those have the highest level of evidence based on trial evidence. What about opioids? Are they ever used for these patients? They are used, but I would probably say to avoid them if at all possible because of the risks of opioids in the setting of chronic pain disorders. And to be honest, opioids typically don't provide that much benefit. There's a huge risk of uh, what's called medication overuse or rebound type headache. So I, I would generally recommend to avoid them unless everything else has already been tried and that's really the only option you have left. But in most cases, it should be avoided. I can recall some of the most challenging situations where uh, years ago, uh, we used to, to uh, a period of time working in the urgent care center, mm -hmm. and we would typically get a patient often who comes in just before closing mm -hmm. and uh, presented with a severe intractable headache. Yes. And we didn't have nearly the options that we have today. And they had uh, a history of either allergy or intolerance to essentially everything that we wanted to try Mm -hmm. other than opioids. And those are really difficult patients. Yes. As, as you mentioned, there's really nothing on physical exam. Mm -hmm. And you had to base your treatment on their history. Mm -hmm. As physicians, you know, we're, we're trained to try to help patients, but yep. um, you certainly want to avoid opioids uh, yeah. in, in those whenever possible. Yeah. There are some other options other than those first line agents. I think probably the second line treatment that's used is going to be uh, intramuscular catorolac. Mm -hmm. 30 milligrams. In reality, in most cases in the emergency room, they're using some combination of catorolac and usually an antiemetic like prochlorperazine or, or metoclopramide mm -hmm. because there has been some evidence to say that up to 50% of those presenting to the emergency department have some contraindication to sumatriptan. How about the patient who has recurrent episodes of migranosis? How are they treated chronically in order to help prevent these episodes from occurring? Yeah. Well, importantly, finding an effective treatment for aborting the migraine. So a migraine-specific treatment, most frequently that's going to be some sort of triptan, whether it be oral, nasal spray, or injectable. Making sure they're taking it as early on in the attack as possible and potentially combining that with adjunctive treatments like antiemetics, like prochlorperazine oral, promethazine oral, or metoclopramide oral can potentially prevent it from going on for the 72 hours and, and stave off status migranosis. And certainly if they're having frequent enough migraines that you might consider a preventive treatment, finding an effective preventive treatment would also be helpful in reducing the likelihood of recurrent episodes of status migranosis. When do you decide to switch from treating each individual headache to starting somebody on a daily preventive management strategy? It's somewhat variable, but some of the general principles we use include if someone's regularly having eight or more days of migraine in a month, we'll typically strongly recommend a preventive treatment. The guidelines say you should consider preventive treatment with four or more migraine days in a month. I think between four and seven days, it's kind of a personal discussion with the patient. Certainly, if you have difficulty finding an effective abortive treatment in those individuals, you will go to a preventive treatment. Alternatively, if they have severe neurologic symptoms of aura that are difficult to manage, 
then using a preventive treatment would be useful in that situation. And even in the same situation, you may even use a preventive treatment if someone has significant disabling aura symptoms, if they're even having less than four attacks per month. What have you found to be some of the more effective preventive treatments? We also have probably outdated guidelines on that, but personally speaking, unfortunately, there's not one preventive that I can point to that's going to be the gold standard in any one individual. Mainly what I can speak to is our personal experience based on a population of patients that we see. And I think in our experience, the most effective preventive therapy on a population basis has been Botox injections, but that requires a diagnosis of chronic migraine and trial of several other therapies before getting there. From an oral treatment standpoint, to pyramate probably has some of the best evidence and experience with prevention of migraine. Person to person, there's no way to really give a good answer to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Our listeners are primarily uh, primary care providers. Should we, as primary care providers, recommend to our patients to carry any specific information on them regarding their history of migraine uh, that they may take with them when they travel? Is that of any benefit to them? It depends on the situation, but certainly if they've had previous episodes of status migranosis and they've found an effective treatment strategy, maybe having some sort of letter indicating what that successful treatment strategy has been so they can indicate to any emergency department or urgent care what treatments seem to work best for them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So other than status migranosis, what other types of headaches or patients with headaches commonly present to the emergency department setting? Well, post-traumatic headaches are are probably going to be seen quite frequently in the emergency department any other secondary headache disorders like intracranial hemorrhage or subarachnoid hemorrhage, but the treatment of those underlying conditions usually takes precedent over treating the headaches. You could see arterial dissections or intracranial mass lesions, infections, but again, the under- treatment of the underlying disorder takes precedent in all those cases. For post-traumatic headache, that's probably the most frequent next type of headache that's seen in the emergency department where you'd be focusing on the treatment strategies of the headache themselves. The emergency department would probably rarely see a tension headache unless it's a relatively severe intractable one, which is relatively rare. And cluster headache overall is is a relatively rare headache disorder, but still could be seen in the emergency department and requires some specific treatments. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to recognize. And basically all of those have a pretty classic history. You should be able Mm to uh, figure out what's going on. They don't sound like migranosis. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, can you give maybe a summary and give us two or three key points that uh, summarize our discussion on status migranosis and other headaches in the ER setting? Yeah. So I think from a treatment point of, of status migranosis, the best way to prevent onset of status migranosis is to come together with the patient and work to find the most effective abortive treatment strategy, usually a migraine-specific strategy such as a triptan. Alternatively, there are some new migraine-specific treatment strategies like the Gapants, which include Nurtec and Ubrelvi, or Rayval, which is a, another it's a serotonin 1F agonist. Also, DHE can be relatively effective in, in some patients. So trying to work with your patients to find that optimum abortive treatment strategy for their, lack of a better word, their regular migraines would be probably the best treatment strategy to prevent status migranosis. 
Second, trying your best to stick to the guidelines and the evidence-based treatment regimens. As I mentioned earlier, the prochlorperazine, metoclopramide, sumatriptan, and, and even ketorolac. There are some other second and third line treatments that could be considered for status migraine, like valproic acid or or some of the antipsychotics like haloperidol, droperidol, but those are have more adverse effects potentially and less evidence for benefit. Thirdly, I would strongly emphasize avoiding, if at all possible, opioids and butalbital-containing analgesics. Okay. You mentioned some uh, relatively new products out there for management of uh, yes. patients with headaches. Have they been shown to be pretty effective? Have you been very pleased with the uh, benefits of those drugs? They have been shown to be fairly effective. The Gapants and the, the Lismitidan, those are probably slightly less to about as effective as the triptans. Hard to say for sure because there are no comparable studies. Some of the advantage of both of those classes of treatments is they don't carry the vascular disease contraindication because they don't constrict blood vessels like the triptans do. So that seems to be the niche population that will use those most frequently. But I also have patients who failed to respond to multiple different triptans that will use either the agapant or lismitidan, and they, they seem to respond nicely. They can have some mild sedation or nausea, the gapants, but they typically don't have a lot of side effects. The lismitidan is a little bit more restricted because it is a, uh, a controlled substance, Schedule five drug. It does cause sedation and you're not supposed to drive for eight hours after taking the dose. So it has a smaller population that you'll prescribe it to as well. Mm -hmm. say. All right. Well, we've been discussing status migranosis and other headaches commonly seen in the emergency department with Dr. Mark Wheely, a neurologist and headache specialist at the Mayo Clinic. Mark, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you for having me, Daryl, and I had a good time. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please follow us. Stay healthy and see you next week.